Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. The Arabs have only occupied Palestine since 638. That is when the Muslims took over. This is a very important date because um, the Muslims expanded very rapidly out of Saudi Arabia and they quickly took over the Arab world. And another important point, the Arabs are not descendants of the Philistines or the Canaanites in any way. Um, So Palestinians are Arabs. Probably worth remembering too, everyone's related to everyone in the Middle East. They're all Semitic, they're all cousins one way or another. But don't tell them that. Like they're they're very my family, your family. They're profoundly tribal. Okay, next slide. Thanks, Luke. Um, Let me dig a little more into the actual history of the Jews and this sort of plays into a bit why they were granted lands after World War II. Um, Even during the biblical exile, there was a remnant in 538 BC. A lot of the exiles returned. If you know your biblical history, the exiles returned to reestablish the state of Israel. That sort of stuck around until Jerusalem was destroyed by Rome in AD 70. 100,000 Jews were massacred. Many were deported. Um, or scattered. That was good for the church, not good for the Jews. Um, A bit later on in 135, the Jews were ordered to leave Jerusalem by Hadrian, and he was tried to create effectively a Roman state, and that's where the name comes from, Palestina, however you say it in Latin. Um, We're now going to have a big leap (laughs) to 1897. Um, wasn't that much later after that that rem- remember the um, Muslims took over and pretty much the Muslims were in charge from 600 to the end of the century, end, end of like, like a century ago. Um, the Jews have been mercilessly persecuted for thousands of years, pretty much ever since they were kicked out of um, Jerusalem back then, they have been persecuted. And scattered. And so 1897 was when people started to propose the Jews going back to Palestine and having a homeland, Um, particularly after they were mercilessly persecuted by Christian Europe. In 1917, so we're talking now the end of World War I when the Ottoman, so the Ottoman Empire had been in charge of the Middle East. Um, They were defeated because they allied themselves with the Germans. They were defeated. And then suddenly Britain was in charge of Palestine. And they were the ones who came up with this thing called the Balfour Agreement, which finally said, right, now we're in a position to actually have the power to um, create a space for Jews to come and live. Took a long time to work that out. Pretty much between the two wars, people were trying to work that out. And during that time, by the way, Jews started buying up land in Palestine. Um, They bought land from Muslims. They bought land that was 
public land or state land. Um, this is before, at this point, there hadn't been any, any sort of forced removal of people and the Jews bought quite a lot of land. Um, in 1947, the UN, this is just after the war, particularly, the, you remember this came on the back of the Holocaust. So there was already sympathy for the Jews who and their persecution, but the Holocaust basically said, right, we really need to look after the Jews now. And so we're gonna actually do this. We're gonna create this state for them. And it was a two state solution. There was, the land was split up and it was a bit tricky how it sort of happened, but it was split up a lot more evenly than what you see today. So today you've got the, I don't know if you can picture it on a map, I probably should have had a map, but you've got the Gaza and the West Bank are the two areas that are Palestinian. The rest is entirely Jewish. The original boundaries were much bigger for the Palestinians. It was much more sort of even. Um, and that was in 1947. And for the most part, the land the Palestinians got were the land that Muslims owned and the other land was the, either the public land or the land that the Jews had bought up. Although it's certainly true that some land was confiscated or, or at least declared Muslim. If you wanna be in, in the Palestinian, if you don't wanna live under the Jews, you have to move over here. Um, and so some Palestinians were forcibly removed from their, um, their land. By the way, they're, they're not all Muslim. Christians were removed. Later, I'll recommend some books. There's a brilliant book called Blood Brothers by a guy named Elias Shakur, who's a Melkite Christian. Um, I've heard him preach, actually, and when we lived in Egypt, he preached at our church. English was probably his fifth language, and it's still one of the best sermons I've ever heard. Um, Got to read that book. Um, he, he was forcibly displaced, and his Melkite Christian village were kicked out as well because they were in the Jewish area. Um, <clears throat> Immediately that the UN said, this is what we're gonna do. All the Arab states around who were Muslims said, no, you're not. And they invaded and tried to stop it happening. Um, but the Jews won that war. They defeated them completely. And that's when Palestinians sort of retreated to the, retreated might not be the right word, but effectively the West Bank and, and Gaza are like, um, that's where the Jews put the people who, wanted to fight them. So they're effectively like prison camps. And, it's been like, and that's why they're small. And that's why um, people talk about Jewish people occupying the Palestinian area. It's because they, um, ever since the establishment, the, the Arab Muslim nations have been trying to destroy Israel. And they're trying to stop that happening. In their imagination, they're just trying to stay alive. Um, and it's been nonstop. So there's always been Palestinian, the Palestinian desire to destroy Israel from day one. The Arab world still doesn't accept that Israel should exist. Um, yeah, I think I've just pretty much covered that. Okay, now let me just shift quickly to Hamas and say that Hamas is a Salafi jihadi Islamist movement. And what that means, all those words really matter. Salafi means we're gonna do it the way Muhammad did it. They're highly conservative. Um, so for example, killing babies, beheading them, um, all, all the activities you saw them do a, a month or two ago, Muhammad did all that. The early Muslim armies um, behaved in all those ways. And, and it's like ISIS. ISIS is the ways that the early Muslims behaved. And so we're going to copy that. No idea of modern warfare or just warfare. Um, it's jihadi, which says it's legitimate to fight for the sake of Islam. 
And Islamist means we want Islam to rule. And Hamas is an unashamedly and completely um, openly jihadi Islamist movement. What I want to do is just show you a few of their documents and make a few points. Um, and remember, Hamas was elected by the Palestinians to be their government. Um, Hamas is driven to enforce an Islamic state on Palestine. Um, you can read a bit of that if you like, but um, I'll read it out. Happened like this. When the leaders of the Islamic armies conquered Syria and Iraq, they sent to the Caliph of the Muslims, Umar bin al-Qadab, asking for his advice concerning the conquered land, whether they should divide it among the soldiers or leave it for its owners or what. After consultations and discussions between the Caliph of the Muslims, Umar bin al-Qadab and companions of the Prophet, Allah bless him and grant him salvation, it was decided that the land should be left with its owners who could benefit by its fruit. As for the real ownership of the land and the land itself, it should be consecrated for Muslim generations till judgment day. Those who are on the land are there only to benefit from its fruit. This waqf remains as long as earth and heaven remain. Any procedure in contradiction to Islamic Sharia where Palestine is concerned is null and void. Um, in Islamist theology, once Islam has conquered a bit of land, it's Islamic from then on, entirely Islamic, and it won't tolerate any other religion, certainly won't tolerate Judaism or Christianity. Um, any procedure in contradiction to the Islamic Sharia is null and void. So in the Muslim imagination, in the, in the Islamist imagination, Palestine just is a Muslim state and we will not tolerate Israel even existing. Another thing important to realize is that Hamas has absolutely no genuine interest in negotiation or solutions, certainly not two-state solutions or anything like that. They only have total victory is the only thing that they're willing to accept. Um, first here is a verse of the Quran, but the Jews will not be pleased with thee, neither the Christians, until thou follow their religion. Say, the direction of Allah is the true direction, and verily, if thou follow their desires, after the knowledge which hath been given thee, thou shalt find no patron or protector against Allah. Um, don't listen to Muslims. Sorry, don't listen to Christians or Jews. Don't engage with them. They just want to convert you. Um, the next bit is part of the charter. Um, and it says, there is no solution for the Palestinian question except through jihad. The only solution they see is military victory. Initiative proposals and international conferences are all a waste of time and vain endeavours. Palestinian people know better than to consent to having their future rights and fate toyed with. As is said in Honourable Hadith, and Hadith is um, the sayings of Muhammad or the example of Muhammad, people of Syria are Allah's lash in his land. He wreaks his vengeance through them against whomsoever he wishes amongst his slaves. It's unthinkable that those who are double-faced among them should prosper over the faithful. They will certainly die out of grief and desperation. Um, so that's Hamas's solution, which is why there's, ever since Hamas came to power, uh, I forget the exact date, but there's been suicide bombers coming out ever since. We don't hear about that, but that's been going on for years. One last thing, Hamas has no interest in protecting Palestinians from death or suffering. Um, including children. Um, martyrdom is the highest honour in their ideology. This is their slogan. The slogan of the Islamic resistance movement, Allah is its target, the Prophet is its model, the Quran is its constitution, Jihad is its path, 
and death for the sake of Allah is the loftiest of its wishes. And then in Article 36, the Islamic resistant movement adopts Islam as its way of life. Islam is its creed and religion. Whoever takes Islam as his way of life, be it an organization, a grouping, a country, or any other body, the Islamic resistant movement considers itself as their soldiers and nothing more. Any Muslim in their imagination is just a soldier, including a child. Um, any sense of them sort of um, complaining about innocence being killed is to gain support from outsiders. Um, that's not how they actually think of it. The reason why they deliberately put children around military targets is because they're just soldiers. And other parts, when you read through the charter, there are other parts where the role of women is just to keep having soldiers. Keep Your job is to have babies because we need more soldiers. This is what ISIS did as well. That's why um, women were brought over to, to the Islamic State to have more babies because we need more soldiers. That's the most honourable thing you can be. Um, so that's why this is a war. Um, they're not really interested in two-state solutions or any solutions. It's interesting we've got a ceasefire today. That's a brilliant thing. Um, for stopping the suffering of people. But don't, don't be fooled into thinking that this is an indication that Hamas is somehow changing its goals. Um, this will be a strategic pause. Um, they're wanting fuel, they're wanting a whole lot of other things. This is not a particularly humanitarian thing for them. They're, they realize they're in a battle for their survival. And this is a strategic pause. Um, this is a war. Let me just make a few theological comments really about war. Um, some wars, I'm, I'm going to assume, well, I'm, I'm not a Christian pacifist. You may have a pacifist position, but this is assuming that um, you think it's okay to fight some wars sometimes, and I think some wars are just and worth fighting. Um, and Hamas has declared war in line with its charter, not Israel, so they started it in a sense, and so Israel needs to decide um, how are we going to respond? Is it a just thing, particularly given what we've just seen about them, the motives and the intentions and the strategies of Hamas? Um, second thing is not all Palestinians support Hamas. It's just disputable how many people do support Hamas. It's a bit like Nazi Germany. How many Germans actually supported Nazi Germany? Hard to know, enough to vote them in and then to not get rid of them for a long time um, and then to go and fight for them. Um, it's certainly true that many Palestinians hate Hamas. Um, by the way, the options, when, during the election, there were like nine other Islamist parties that were even more extreme than Hamas. So like they're the moderate jihadi Salafi Islamists. Um, gives you a bit of a sense of the mindset of, that we're dealing with here. And yeah, a lot of... Palestinians hate it. The Palestinian Christians absolutely hate it. Um, many of them don't support their government, but enough do for that to be their government. Um, another point, all wars are hell. We're, we're very fortunate in Australia to have been protected from um, wars for our survival. Um, but we're in a uh, technological setting now where we can see all the details of war where beforehand 
you never saw it, but now we see it. wars are all, have always been hell and innocent people and children have always been killed in wars. Um, there are no clean wars. Every war is full of war crimes. Australian soldiers are not pure, no soldiers are pure. You'll always find horrific stories. And particularly where you have false flag operations and where you have humans being used as um, shields, it's going to get horrific. Um, and so the equation then for Israel is at what cost do we fight this war? And I think just war theory would say not at, not at all costs. There are some things that you should never do, um, even if it extends things or makes it tricky. Um, you shouldn't go in and just um, massacre everyone indiscriminately. But it's a tricky equation, a tricky equation when you're dealing with someone who deliberately surrounds um, their targets with innocence. Another point is wars don't fix political problems. Whatever happens in this war, it won't stop the ideology of the Arab world. No Arab country thinks Israel should exist. And so um, the only solutions really are change of hearts, change of minds. Um, you need political solutions, not military solutions. Um, again, this is an operation that is trying to stop Hamas, which has started a war. That's all Israel are trying to do. It's worth remembering that if Hamas lay down their weapons tomorrow, the war would be over. Um, if Israel laid down their weapons, Hamas would massacre um, the Jewish state. So it's an asymmetric, it's a, it's a weird asymmetry because Israel has more power and they have more stronger military, um, but ISIS has the more aggressive ideology. Um, and last thing is that all wars produce refugees and displaced people. Um, and so there's going to be a whole heap of people that are going to need caring for. That's not an exhaustive point of war. That's just some stuff to bear in mind. And sort of brings us to, to really what we can do about all this. And as Christians, we follow the Prince of Peace. And so fundamentally, we need to be praying for peace and longing for peace. But again, it's not at all clear how that will happen in this situation particularly when you only have one side that is seeking peace. Um, so here are three things. Um, we need to pray and lament. And again, the key thing for tonight is that we pray. We pray for a miracle, I guess, <laughs> but um, pray for wisdom, pray for restraint, pray for um, as much pieces as possible in the meantime, pray for hostages to be released, um, pray for Hamas to come to its senses or the Palestinian people to depose Hamas. I don't know how that would even happen. Pray for Hamas to be removed with the minimal possible cost. Um, but we need to pray that this, but this crisis would be moved through as quickly as possible. Um, we need to care for the refugees. I just mentioned that before. There are going to be a lot of refugees and most of them would be Palestinian. Um, and they won't love Australia or the West any more than they will have loved Israel, but they'll be um, 
in need and we're called to love our enemies and care for people and Australia is already starting to talk about taking Palestinian refugees and we should do that and there's risk involved but um, that's appropriate to care for refugees. Um, and last thing to bear in mind is that there are Christians in Palestine, um, there are evangelical Christians and there are also some real, sort of very traditional Orthodox Christians or Christians there that have been persecuted for 2000 odd years one way or another who um, are pretty beaten down. But there are evangelical Christians who are pretty enthusiastic and sharing faith. I did hear a story, I, I can't verify it um, in the sort of networks I'm a part of, of a whole bunch of um, Palestinian men who actually came to faith in Christ in the last week because they sort of had they were part of the refugees from the war they were in gaza um and they're all together and they all had visions of jesus all on the same night and um all the, they sort of woke up in the morning and they all started talking to each other <laughs> um, and they were being cared for by christians and so again i haven't verified that story yet but um jesus is alive and well in palestine and he's grieving over Jerusalem again and the spirit is at work and people hate hate war and hate hatred and they can find peace in him. Um, many of the Christians are peacemakers. Um, I'll, I'll stick something up in a minute, but Jill McGarray, one of the Langham scholars, is a, um, a Christian who lives in Nazareth, an Arab Christian, and there are heaps of Christian peace initiatives in the Middle East. And so we can support them, we can pray for them, um, we can support them um, monetarily as well as uh, through encouraging them and praying for them. So there are three things that we can do. Um, here's some books to read. Uh, on the top right there is that's that Langham Scholars. Um, that's an article. I, just Google "come and see" and then you should be able to find it. Um, and that name is Dr. Rula Kuri Mansour. You can Google her as well. Her stuff's great. I recommend reading Blood Brothers. That's Lai Shakur, who's a Melkite Christian. Um, two in the middle are. Western scholars who have written um, on the sort of the theology, if you want to understand some of the theology that drives what's going on. Uh, and the um, Michi Rahib is an Arab Christian also writing in the situation. Like he's an on the ground Arab Christian. They're just a few books. There's a lot of stuff that's out there if you want to dig deeper into it. Um, I've got a prayer here that we'll pray in a, in a minute that is. Um, was sent to Jill by uh, Ruler, and we'll pray that a bit later on. But um, if people want any, ask any questions or make any comments or offer any thoughts. Well, if you've got questions, I'd get you to just put your hand up so we can use the microphone. We hear the President of um, Israel say they're going to crush Hamas. So who is Hamas? Is it the government? Is it the Palestinian army? Who is Hamas? Yeah, it's an 
it's it's the elected government. So the each of the so the the Palestinian whatever you want to call them enclaves they have their own sort of they're self-governed. Um, and Hamas was the party that won the elections from the Palestinians. So they're the government. It's a bit tricky, actually. Government's sort of in exile, and they're actually in Qatar is the political wing. The only people who are left in Gaza are the military side of it. By the way, they're not allowed to have military. Like it's they're not they're not a proper army. They're they're terrorists in, in that sense. That they they've been stockpiling weapons, and they're supported by um, Iran and other people, other Arab nations, give them stuff. So it's not formally an army, but yeah, that's who they are. They're the, the they're the ruling party of Gaza. Is it the same government in the West Bank? That's a good question. I'm not sure. The PLO is different. The PLO um, is a secular, was the previous secular ruling party. That was Yasser Arafat. Um, what's your uh, take? Uh, my understanding is that Hamas is there almost by default because all of the other splinter groups that contested the election lost. Um, but there's far from majority support amongst Palestinians for Hamas, by a huge majority. Is that a fair call? Yeah, I think so. A little hard to tell. It's like in Saudi Arabia, everyone's a Muslim because no one would ever say they wouldn't be. So. Yeah. Um, what you hear is that there's a lot of people who oppose it, but no one will say that out loud mm. because then they'll because they're scared that they'll be killed. Um, the thing you need to understand about Islamist movements is that um, if you're an unfaithful Muslim or the wrong type of Muslim, you're you're dead as well. So, yeah, a little hard to tell, but I think you're right. It'd be minority, ten percent, twenty percent. The second follow-up question is that while you've painted a picture of relative right being on the side of the jews when you look at the ideological position of hamas question is does that justify what really looks like revenge uh, because certainly what Net netanyahu is doing looks more like a revenge than a military defensive posture yeah um it does and no of course not um so yeah well i've tried to sort of frame this particular conflict as a very particular one with an islamist organization that's on that's aggressive but yeah you're absolutely right that the going way back to from 1947 on since there was a formal jewish state and since remember like the next day pretty much all the arab states invaded them um, Israel has felt um, attacked and has overcompensated in their treatment of Palestinians. And so their rule has been, um, certainly in the Palestinian areas, the, the repression of opposition has been really harsh and beyond what you, what you think would be appropriate. And so that's absolutely true. And Richard is the Middle East. People are heated. People are, get heated about a lot of stuff, and they bear grudges for thousands of years. So there's, that's going on there.
Richard, is yes. Gaza an enclave of Israel or is it a separate state or country recognised by the UN? And also uh, the Gaza, I mean, the government of Hamas, is that elected by universal suffrage, like the women vote? Yeah, I, I don't know the ins and outs of the election process, but um, it got to... So they're not a former country. They sort of... Uh, I forget the right term. They were an observer state or something in the UN, um, but they're still... And I think this, for a lot of people, there is the hope that you could create a two-state solution where they would be their own country, but they're not interested in doing that. Yeah, so it's not formally its own country. And they were, the other things too, like the West Bank is part of this as well. And so they were the two Palestinian areas and Israel um, did other aggressive things like started settlements in those areas, particularly in the West Bank, and they built walls that they weren't built, supposed to build. Um, but also remember too, there are a lot of a lot of Palestinians chose to become um, Israeli citizens, and and also many of the people before this current situation, when people would work in Israel, and there was a lot of movement back and forth, and so there have been times of relative peace in the past as well. Yeah, yeah, Richard. Um, just a bit of a side issue when we talk about anti-Semitism. As far as I'm aware, a Semite can be um, a Jew or it could be an Arab and that as well. So why is anti-Semitism mainly aimed at the Jews um, and not other tribes? Um, and, then and then secondly, um, with the pro-Palestinian pro movement at the moment, they're saying that Israel is in uh, committing genocide in, in Palestine, but the actual narrative is that it's the Palestinians who want the Jews gone, wants to wipe the Jews out. It's not the Jews saying they want to wipe out all of Palestine. Yeah, right. I mean, it's important to use words carefully. Uh, Anti-Semitism, it's just the, you're right. Any Semitic people group is, um, so the Aramaic and the um, Hebrew, Arabic, Aramaic, it's all Semitic in a sense, but it's just become the, the word that we use for the Jews. It was a term that arose, if I remember right, it was to do with the European persecutions um, of the last few hundred years is where it came. And, and again, it was particularly Christian, so they were, the Duke, they were the Christ killers and there was a whole narrative around that. So it's a popular usage, it's not technically correct. Um, and the genocide that, yeah, that's not correct either, it's not a genocide, but it is a, it's a total war, if that's the right way of putting it. Like their goal is the complete eradication of Hamas and Hamas is people, it's not a thing. And so they are trying to absolutely eradicate, all, eradicate Hamas and all of its supporters. So yeah, it's a complete removal, it's extreme. Um, and again, uh, the analogies aren't perfect, but it's a little like Nazi Germany, there was cost, that was a costly thing. We're going to remove this evil regime at whatever cost. Um, but you still do the equation. Whatever cost can't just be a complete obliteration. Um, Richard, yeah. uh, it, it's my understanding, going back to 1947, when the UN uh, came up with the solution that Palestine was going to have a Jewish state and an Arab state. Mm -hmm. um, 
and that the, geographically the land was supposed to be close to 50-50, I think it was about 60-40. It was something like that. Subsequent to Israel uh, declaring themselves as a nation and you had the Arab-Israeli war and Israel, Israel won that convincingly, my understanding yes. that they, they captured huge yeah. swathes yeah. of what was meant to be Arab state. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, so the Gaza Strip and the West Bank are almost sort of seen as remnants. So instead of being 50-50, it's probably about 85 to 15% now. Um, so yeah, I sort of think you can't avoid the fact that, that Israel has been, um, I don't know, you could say whether they haven't honoured the UN thing, but because they've certainly expanded and taken Arab land. And my understanding is that in uh, the 1967 war, I thought that Egypt and Jordan sort of had responsibility for those two different Palestinian states. And Israel in that war, um, again, won, yeah. drove out Egypt and Jordan influence and occupied those states. And I thought that was against, against UN policy, that they weren't, no one was supposed to occupy yeah, the other state. Correct. And they've occupied it ever since 67. So yeah, that's does right. Israel need to take some responsibility for the conflict since 1947? Yeah, of course. Everyone's bearing grievances. And absolutely, that's what happened. It was, as you say, it wasn't quite 50-50, but that was the original plan. And then when the Palestinians refused to accept the plan and with the support of the Arab nations over a range of different times, kept fighting back, um, the Jewish response was to expand their territories and to push them right back and say, well, yeah. And the argument would be, we're just defending ourselves and you can't be trusted. So this is why I sort of said before, they're effectively prison camps where um, you can't be trusted. So we're going to keep you there where we can keep an eye on you. So yeah, you're right. And, and did, does that help? No, because it creates um, just more and more and more grievance because um, now you're occupying the land you're not even supposed to have. Right. But, but even then it's still complex because the the Arabs didn't accept the 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 fifty fifty either. So, yeah, no one's happy with any solution. So my question is, um, why now? Why has Hamas done this now? Was there something that's something that's actually provoked this, particularly? you know, savage attack, or is it just a result of a build-up? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, they, for us, it's now. For them, Israel has been, um, I mean, there have been terrorist attacks. The PLO had a terrorist wing as well as a political wing. Like, this goes back thousands of years. Um, but I think the why now, partly, too, is that... Um, it's we the rise of what we what we call like the transnational Islamist movements like Al Qaeda or Al Shabaab or Boko Haram in um, Nigeria. These are this is a very recent development that um, the Muslim Islamist jihadi. Um, cause, if you like, has started to really rally around itself. And it largely came from Saudi Arabian oil money that then funded 
Egyptian um, theological colleges, which then sent out, and, and again, Saudi, because Wahhabi, uh, the Wahhabi of Islam of Saudi Arabia is the sort of the seedbed for those sort of movements. Um, and it really just grows out of that in the last 20 or 30 years, the Islamist cause has, um, like 150 years ago, um, around World War I, most Muslims wanted to be modernist. They were liberal and they wanted to be Western. Um, but then colonialism sort of went badly for them. And particularly, sorry, this will get a bit nerdy, but you have this thing called the Sykes-Picot. You know, we talked about the Balfour Agreement. Remember, Britain was in charge of the area after World War I, and they came up with this thing called the Sykes-Picot, where, where with France, they carved up the Middle East. And they all, all the countries are really recent, and it was just who were mate, who, well, the royal family in Saudi Arabia or the mates of the Britons, of Britain, so you're in charge. And it just sort of played out like that. And so people got really grumpy about that. And um, eventually when Saudis got wealthy, they the movement can sort of get funded and get organized and um, really did come through Saudi money. And then the rise of a whole lot of um, Islamist clergy coming out of Egypt and England too, ironically, um, they started using publishing houses and getting it out into the world. So yes, it's, that's part of the reason why there's the particular brand of Islamism that we've got at the moment is a pretty recent development. And the Saudi money pays for weapons. The Saudi money pays for weapons as well. And it's not the Saudi government. It's like, it's just, there's a lot of crazy, well, like Qatar, Qatar is really sneaky in this whole thing. Like there's a reason why the Hamas is, um, the exile, exile government is in Qatar. And there's a reason why Qatar is positioning itself. Like there are not a lot of wealthy um, Arabs backing Hamas and Hezbollah as well. A question about refugees. Mm. You've mentioned that about 20% of the Israeli population is Palestinian. Now, Israeli population is about 9 million, so that's about 1.8 million refu refugees, as I see them, people who have chosen not to live under Hamas, they've chosen to live under the Jewish government instead of under mm -hmm. the Palestinian government. Is that correct? Something like that. Okay. Um, given the, that I that is... That, a... I'm not sure if the 20% might include Gaza as well, but um, yeah, it, but you're right, it's many people. Right. Given that that is the situation, and during this current uh, war, Egypt closed its borders to the refugees. They would not let any refugees no. into Egypt. And I see no other Arab country anywhere that is taking refugees. It seems very strange to me that Israel would be hosting something over a million refugees from Palestine and none of the Arab countries are hosting refugees. Would you like to comment on that? <laughs> yeah, well, it's certainly true. Jordan, there are a lot of Palestinians in Jordan, um, so it's not none, but you're absolutely right. The Muslim, the Muslim world ironically has no interest in taking refugees. Um, they'll, they'll, happy, they'll be happy to wipe out Israel, but they don't want to really support Palestinians. Actually, one of my really good friends is a Palestinian. He's now a Christian. He, he was a Muslim. In fact, he was in the Muslim Brotherhood. He wasn't in Hamas. Uh, didn't exist back then. But he 
Um, he became a Christian. I might have talked about him in church.